B C D E. Ahem. Scotty doesn't know. No, 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 we can't do that here. Hello, and welcome to Chronically Narnia, the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the Chronicles of Narnia chapter by chapter, and today we are discussing chapter six of The Last Battle. This chapter is called A Good Night's Work. I am the Spearhead Star, also known as the Narnian North Star, also known as Kristen, and this is my co-host. I'm a cheery hedgehog saying good night. I hoped you would be. <laughs> Hello. What, what else are you known by? Uh, I'm oh, cheery the... one. I'm Chris. Hi, Chris. I think this is the second time in the series I've been a hedgehog. I do believe that it is. <laughs> anyway. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Welcome back to recording. I know. It's been a minute. We did take So a apparently we have just fallen into a rhythm of like every other week with this book just because the holidays have been a little rough. Yeah. Well, you know what that is. It's because people are just not supporting us on Patreon. And <laughs> no, it's because it's because we've had things to do. We had a trip that we had. Yeah. We've had holidays. I thought it was always our plan to uh, stop working and just do this for a living full time. That's my dream. <laughs> but is that is that in fact our plan? No. Mm-hmm. We have no such plans, friend. I mean, at our current rate of, like, support, we just have to do about 50 podcasts um, concurrently, uh-huh. which we have time for. And uh, that would replace one of our incomes. <laughs> Not both. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, so this banter's been fun. Yeah. Uh, what do we do in the podcast, my love? Well, we do first is we uh, summarize the chapter. Ah, yes. To figure out how to talk about it That's because true. like we need structure for our conversations or else they just fall apart indeed like a house of cards indeed um which the, famously it, don't have structure famously <laughs> famously no structure in houses of cards yep anyway so we pick five sentences out of the chapter and we just read those to summarize the chapter uh in its own words yeah cool who wants to go first this time i think that i'll go first cool go ahead cool All three of them agreed that the very first thing they must do was to go back to Staple Hill and try to rescue Jewel the Unicorn. It was Jill who set them right again. She had been an excellent guide in England. Did she go from you while I was away? asked Trinian. Then I struck a light, and would you believe it? There was nothing at all there but this old donkey with a bundle of lion skin tied on his back. The whole party began talking and laughing. Even Puzzle lifted up his head and gave a grand ha-he-ha-he-he, a thing the ape hadn't allowed him to do for days. Cool. Uh, I found this chapter pretty hard to summarize. Uh, A lot of of weird sentences in here. Um, There is. I did use two of the same sentences in common with you, though. Okay. So here's my summary. All three of them agreed that the very first thing they must do was to go back to Stable Hill and to try to rescue Jewel the Unicorn. He put his left arm around the beast's neck and 
bent and kissed his nose, and both had great joy. Then I struck a light, and would you believe it? There was nothing at all there but this old donkey with a bundle of lion skin tied onto his back. It wasn't his fault. We can show them the truth of the ape's vile plot. So you found this one difficult to summarize. I, I think that it's interesting that with that, you chose to include the cliffhanger ending as part of your summary. Where, like, you're like, oh, we could go tell everybody and expose this plot, like, kind of thing. Because that's what the last paragraph of the chapter is. It's like, oh, we hear dwarves. Well, let's go expose this plot to them. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know. Well, I mean, like, you summarized it with a good sentence that kind of, like, plays into the plot. But, like, it, this chapter does have a cliffhanger ending. And yeah. so I just chose to, like, ignore that and be like, they're all laughing and having a good time. And that's the end of the chapter. Yeah, uh, I wanted to do kind of do something with that cliffhanger with the uh, the approaching dwarves. Yeah. Well, it also, choosing to use that sentence also includes, like, the hope and being like, oh, yeah, we are accomplishing the thing, you know? Yeah, hopefully. Um, this chapter did take a turn I didn't expect it to take, and I'm gonna, we're gonna get there, and this is one of the few times I feel like the plot of these books has surprised me. But we will cover that yeah. in a second. So, starting out in the chapter. So, this book surprised you in that they got... They got puzzles so quickly? Yes. All right, go ahead. I just I just had to clarify that. Um, so starting out in the chapter, uh, they are going down to bed after doing some training and some archery and some sword work practice. Yep. Um, we go into great detail about how... Uh, the curved blade is different. Yeah. About how Tyr- the Tyrion... Is his name is Tyrion? Tyrion, yeah. Yes. Like the Lannisters. I haven't, I haven't used his name in a long time. so I, was I mean, it's there. like Tyrion Lannister. Yeah, uh, only with an I instead of a Y, I believe. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so... Which matters get... so much in a visual medium, uh-huh. like podcasting. Yep. Anywho, so we go into great deal about how, into a great detail about how Tyrion uh, is just this great hunter, and a great hunter can always wake up exactly when he wants to. Yep. Uh, he can time his sleep perfectly. Yep. Uh, apparently this is a skill. I don't have that skill. I'm not a great hunter, apparently. Yeah, you see... I don't I don't know anyone who's ever slept well and woken up when they wanted to. Uh-huh. I know many people who are like, yeah, I can wake up when I need to. I just don't sleep well because I actually wake up every hour all night to check the time. Yeah. But they, so. in this world of no clocks or anything, you can't even do that. He just mm-hmm. knows by the smell of the air and the light in the sky. But anyway, <laughs> they get up they get up while it's still dark and they set off. Yep. On this little cold journey through the woods. And they get lost. They're yep. so fortunate to have these great stars, this great hunter, these, this great king. Mm-hmm. And they're so fortunate to have Jill, who actually gets to do something, like, legitimately cool. Yeah, Jill. And, and I, like, I feel like this is so much progress for Lewis in yeah. writing a character. Because in this book, Eustace is the non-character. Yeah, and Jill actually does stuff in this chapter. Yeah. Maybe, you, you, maybe like... Like, You're... Eustace does stuff in the next chapter. I've already read the next chapter. Oh, fine. It, it, was, it was do it or take two weeks for the next <laughs> episode. Like, I had to read it now or, you know, not. But Eustace does get to do some stuff in the next chapter. But in this one, Jill is, it's, this, this chapter is all about Jill actually contributing, which is great. 
So were you conflating this book with the previous one and your love of, of Jill Pole? Because like when we got into the previous book, you no, were just because like, I couldn't remember that this was Jill. I thought this was Lucy when uh-huh. I remembered this book, because here's, there's like two things about this book that I've ever remembered. Uh huh. One is that people go back to Narnia. Uh huh. Big surprise there. Wow. Crazy. And the other is that some female character said thee instead of see in order to not have the whisper carry the S sound and have that be heard. Yeah. Those are the only two things about this entire book I remembered coming into it. And okay. I thought that that female character saying thee instead of see and having the, the sentence of explanation about how she didn't have a list but that she was trying not to be overheard with an S sound and a whisper. Uh-huh. Um, that stood out to me more than any plot of this entire book in my memory. And I thought it was Lucy. Honestly, I thought it was Lucy that was talking in that sentence in my memory. I didn't even remember Jill was. Yeah. Anyway, so there you go. She doesn't have a lisp. That's my, that's my, that's my story about what I remember about this book. So I don't think that I was conflating this book with the other one when I was talking about how awesome of a character Jill gets to be. She's just pretty solid at espionage. Yeah, she really is. She was a great guide in England. And I, I it's capital G guide, so I assume that that's like some kind of mm-hmm. scouts type thing. Yeah, something like that, like a, the English version of the Boy Scouts or whatever. Yeah, so, no, the, uh, like, that's, that's just the difference between authors and writing styles. And, like, let's say if the series was written by Butcher, we would have established early on in the first book that Jill actually has a lisp that never gets brought up again for five books, and then in this moment, it's the reason that they're not caught by the uh, oh yeah absolutely by the caller means is yep. because she can't pronounce her s sounds. Yep, that's 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 the one. <laughs> anyway, that's the one. So uh, she leads him through the woods very effectively. Uh, you know, it's this cold night; stars are out. Um. We learn that the, their North Star in this world is called Spearhead. Important, important bits of lore to establish this late in the game. Yes, especially when we know that the stars are, in fact, creatures. Yeah. Uh, like, huh? Yeah, yeah who is Spearhead? Let's, yeah. let's know more about him as a character. I'd like to know more about Spearhead as a character, for sure. Yeah. Um, I want I want the, I want the Narnian uh, expanded universe... <laughs> to become a thing and we can hear more about Ramondu and like why he left the sky and like Kariakin and like how he had a daughter. Yeah. Like I want to know more about this mess. It's it's up to us. We need to start writing this. Okay. We need to get permission from the Lewis estate. Again, listeners, if you want to fund that, support us on Patreon. Well, we're going to put our together our uh it's not a lawsuit. I don't know. Our our money to buy the rights to publish in this universe. <laughs> Um, anyway. <clears throat> hey, Netflix, I've got a, I've got an idea for you. <laughs> They're already doing a series. I hear you like doing spinoff series. So, there, we, we once again established this rivalry that, uh, Eustace and Jill still have, uh, where he kind of pokes fun at her a little bit, because, oh, she's only good at this because she's so small, and she shuts him up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. About being quiet. Yeah. Like, she's like a wraith. Yes. And, and Tyrion says she couldn't do better if she had dried blood in her, basically, yeah. you know? She's as wondrous as a wood maid. Yep. Uh, so, anywho, and the wood is very quiet. We established this. Normally, like, uh, as I said in my intro, could be a friendly hedgehog saying goodnight, distant sounds of dwarves, fawns parting. None of this is happening. Yeah. Like, there's this atmosphere of just dread over this whole 
region. Region yeah. of Narnia, where it's very quiet. And so then they get up to the edge of the Calamine camp, and that's mm-hmm. when we get down, we do some spying. Jill demonstrates her ability to not um, say S sounds when she's trying to whisper. But not only that, she also has them get down low so that they can see the silhouettes on the hill above them, which is very useful. Yeah. Um, also very important skill to learn, you know, yeah. if you're running from people in the dark, yeah. in the woods. Jill got, like, heavy into, like, some special ops stuff or some spy craft when she went back to England, apparently. Like, well, that's what I she's mean, been doing for the past year. She learned a lot of skills that she could put to use while she was in Narnia, you know? Also, thus far, we haven't mentioned a single piece of wisdom from our old friend, um... Puddleglum? Puddleglum. Yeah. Sorry, his name I totally remembered. Um... <laughs> Yep. They haven't mentioned him yet, which I'm quite sad about because he had a lot of, he would have a lot to say in this situation, I'm oh, sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, they didn't fully learn how to use his magic. Oh, well, yeah, that's, it's because like Puddleglum is some sort of earth spirit demigod and that's just innate. I don't think you can learn Puddleglum's magic. Um, but I don't it, know. <laughs> but anywho, um, so they get down, they spy, Tyrion tells the kids to stay in the woods, and he's going to go off and well, try to get Well, it seems like they himself. kind of get close enough, like they, they find this little copse of trees yeah. pretty close to the actual hut on the hill. Yeah. The stable, I mean. And then he goes off and pulls a sneaky maneuver uh, and, you know, walks up in his brown face and introduces himself to a guard uh, and then pulls him in and puts a knife to his neck. Yep. And it's just like, all right, take me to the unicorn. And they go. They're able to find Jewel. Really easy. Jewel's all tied up. Uh, hobbled by all four legs. Haven't been treating him well, apparently. Correct. Shocking. Weird. Um, anywho. Um, so we rescued Jewel. Um, and Tyrion's immediately like, hey, good to see you. Um, you I'm going to need you to kill this guy if he moves real quick. Yeah, so, so that put you your, can get him free. Yeah. yeah. Put your horn up against his chest. It's like, that's... Pretty intense mental imagery. Well, especially like, when you look at the cover of your book, and yeah. it's a unicorn with a bloody horn. Um, no, on my, on my oh, on yours cover, it isn't. Yeah, he just has a regular horn. Okay, and no half horn. in <laughs> half of the covers that we looked at, yeah, that had like most of them that had a unicorn on the cover yeah. has it got its horn drenched in blood. Yeah. No, it's interesting. Like the turn that certain elements of mythology have taken in more like modern years because like you have unicorns which in a lot of you know show up in like medieval mythology and like they're a very old uh idea and they show up in a lot of different cultures and unicorns are usually thought of as like these very majestic very magical beasts that aren't now malicious but they are powerful and they're supposed to be respected and, like, that carries over even into things like Harry Potter, where it's just like, oh, no, if you kill a unicorn, you're cursed forever because they're so, you know... Pure. Pure yeah. and magical and whatever, and that's how they're looked at. And, like, we've come from this where it makes sense to have a unicorn who's just, like, this powerful war beast and can threaten to easily kill a man. And, you know, I feel like in a lot of Western culture today, unicorns are, like, hey, like, it's a sparkle pony. <laughs> Yeah. And, like, we can use them to sell frappuccinos. Yeah. And they're cute. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. The, the, <sighs> when we, the wedding that we were just at, the flower girl came in wearing a dress with unicorns on it, shoes that were hollow and wearing, with unicorns on them. Whoa. And carrying a stuffy the size of my pillow. 
uh-huh. that was named Uni the Unicorn. That's a look. Yep, it was a it's, lot of unicorns going through a phase. Um, anyway, so we freed Jewel. They're really happy to see each other, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I really wanted to have that moment of them re- reuniting in my summary. Mm-hmm. Um, so they grab him. They and as they're trying to escape, they hear some dwarves in the distance. Possibly, I don't know. Uh, they hear, you know, some sort of drumming, and Tyrion immediately jumps to being like treacherous dwarfs yeah they're probably enemies yeah these aren't up, these these dwarves aren't up to any good like we just know that right away how we know that is that know. before we've talked to jill uh yeah the okay. they yeah he comes back by the way jill's missing comes back talks to uses and everybody's just like we don't know where jill went um i didn't see her well you were supposed to be watching her like she somehow snuck off again really good at the spy stuff and then they hear the drum beat okay um, so they do notice that Jill's gone before yeah, they... Yeah. And then they're just like, well, obviously these are evil dwarves that are going to come attack us. Yeah. Obviously. Cool. Anyway, Jill's still gone. And then she comes back and appears kind of out of nowhere. Um, and she comes back uh, with a friend in tow. Yep. Who... Some critter that they can't see in the dark. Yes. So she comes back. There's this whole, you know, back and forth about where Jill is. Nobody knows where she is. She comes back. She's like, hello, are you all there? It was Jill's voice. And then they're just like, where the heck have you been? Jill says, in the stable, uh, in between laughter. And then oh, you th- Eustace is like, oh, you think it's funny, do you? Um, Jill asks if, they've got, if they have Jewel. Jill is amused because she just went into the stable to see what was going on with this whole Aslan thing and found a donkey, and that's that's funny. Yes. Uh, Tyrion is just like, oh, hey, what is that beast with you? Um, anyway, so Jill comes back, uh, kind of giggling, has a friend in tow. Oh, yeah. Uh, and she has gotten into the stable and somehow gotten out Puzzle. And this is a... Uh, not a twist, but a plot development that did surprise me. Because I definitely expected the um, shift in puzzle dynamic to be a thing carried through the entire book. And here, hey, look, we've already liberated puzzle in chapter six. Uh-huh. Uh, I can't wait until you read the next chapter for more puzzle dynamic changes. Yeah, and, and obviously, like, oh, hey, they have him, they have the lion cloak, like, they have this p- potential method to go out and be like, yeah, so this is what Shift has been doing. So I am actually kind of curious as to where the story is going and how they're going to still continue the plot of, like, Shift manipulating everybody when they have his only tool used for manipulation. Yeah. So I'm, I am I am genuinely curious as to how this goes. I have my theories, but I don't do baseless speculation anymore in this podcast. So, <laughs> But yeah, I was surprised they got him that early. Genuinely. Uh, and Jill is cool here. Like, she has, you know... She's become a, a useful character. She does things in this chapter. Yeah. Like. And she, uh, had she been a boy, she would have been knighted. Had she been a boy, she would have been whipped for not following orders. Yeah. So, you know, in this universe, girls can't be knighted and they also can't be punished for um, not following insubordination. Orders. Yep. So. Not. That's a trade-off, I guess. <laughs> so. Is that a, is that a trade you would take? I don't know. <sighs> Hey, you can't be knighted, but also you can't be punished for uh, doing dumb crap. Yeah, like I said, don't know. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, continue. So, 
they've uh, acquired puzzle but hey they still have uh the dwarves in the distance they still snuck into this camp so they have you know more than they came for so they need to make like a tree and and get the heck out of here um make like a tree and leaf yeah so So, yes cool uh so they need to head out but first uh Tyrion really just wants to kill the donkey he's just like nope well i mean they get far enough away that she can explain to them that she found the donkey and he's got this lion skin and that shift has been using him yeah and yes Tyrion jumps immediately to this donkey should be killed because it's been pretending to be aslan which is all very true mm. i mean and if if puzzle had been doing this on purpose with the full knowledge of his actions were what they were and what they were doing. Yeah, I agree with you. Like, nope. But, I mean, maybe not execute him here. Maybe have some kind of proper, like, no, this trial is or something. I know you're king. Justice. I know you're king. <laughs> but whatever. Anyway. I do um, really want to read this line, though. What are you doing, sire? Asked Joel sharply. Drawing my sword to smite off the head of this accursed ass, said Turian in a terrible voice. I thought it was a great line. Yeah. You know, smite off the head of this accursed ass. The moment where they're like, oh, wait, no, like, he didn't know what he was doing. Uh-huh. That's, that's the important, important moment where we see a change in the rashness of the king, as we've previously seen this rash behavior of the king. Yes. Um, where he's a little bit more open to maybe listening. Yeah. So. Uh, but yeah, this moment of rashness again where he's just like, nope, I'm immediately going to kill it, even though, like, this critter can come and tell everybody else that it was the ape's idea and this whole thing was been a ruse. Yeah. Like, this is their greatest bargaining chip, and he almost lost it before yeah. they could do anything with it. Um, Anyway, and then Jill steps in, is just like, wasn't his fault, it was all the ape, he didn't know any better. And I think... It might be worth pausing and examining that a little bit more. Well, we also with... have the moment, too, where they talk about, like, how he's been mis- mistreated uh-huh. and was happy to leave. Yeah. Because they would forget to even give him water and stuff like that. But, mm-hmm. yeah, great moment to pause and talk about what that means to not know. So if we go back to the metaphor we talked about very early on in the first chapter about, like, you know, if puzzle is a symbol for, you know, the misled church congregations or like puzzle is the layman Christian who has been led into, you know, wickedness by, you know, the clergy or the leadership or or what have you, who are corrupt and are just trying to, you know, seek their own gain. There's this moment of penal substitutionary atonement. Uh, where Jill jumps in, like, very much in front of Tyrion's sword here. Yeah. And just says, no, it's not his fault. It's not their fault. You can't blame them. Like, they're ignorant. Yeah, but we also have this moment of them claiming ignorance. Uh Uh-huh. Because of the fact... And and, and here's the the part that's going to bother me about this entire book. Uh Uh-huh. We have... The fact that, like, Puzzle here is claiming ignorance. And it seems, by the end of this chapter, to be acknowledged that he's free to be ignorant. That he's allowed to be ignorant of what he was doing. Yeah. Because that's... because by the end of this chapter, he's he he ha he he with them. Yeah. Like, he's, he's laughing with them. He's part of their group now. Yeah. And 
it is allowed that he did this horrible thing and and betrayed so many people's belief in Aslan. Mm-hmm. And that that's okay because he's dumb and ignorant. Yeah, so that's, I guess, where the metaphor kind of falls apart here. But everybody like, else in Narnia is going to be held accountable for following a wrong Aslan. Yeah. And questioning whether or not Aslan was ever able to do the things that this Aslan did. Yeah. I mean, the metaphor would fall apart there. And, like, Lewis is definitely not bad at allegory. So I have to say that I'm probably wrong here in what he intended. But then the question becomes, like, who is puzzle in this allegory then? If he is not the misled masses, yeah, then who is puzzle? I don't know, cause like, <laughs> yeah, it's really it's really frustrating. Uh huh. I, I mean, this is the thing that's going to bother me for the rest of this book. And that's what I'm. I, I'm. Yeah. Feel like I've already clearly stated that. Yeah, I'm just. Yeah, I'm just trying really hard to figure out like what the metaphor becomes then, because like in in this story. Who can claim ignorance? Who who can hide behind ignorance and say, no, it's not my fault that I didn't, like, step up for what's right? Who It's not my fault I didn't question anything. Yeah, because... Who, who is that okay for? Yeah, I mean, because we have characters that have been introduced earlier, like the, the, the squirrels, uh-huh. being like, we're doing this to our own detriment for Aslan. Uh-huh. We have characters like the Dryads who are being killed. Mm-hmm. Who are begging for help? They're not. They're not willingly submitting to this because they're begging for help from the king yeah. to protect them. Yeah. So we have these two very different responses to what Aslan's asking, and then we have characters like the ginger cat who's just sitting there being like, "Oh, so you mean Tash and Aslan mean the same thing?" And it's like, what? Like there are all these different responses that are going to be happening that have been happening, like. It's just so frustrating. Like, the horse that didn't want to be freed from being beat by the Calermines because he is doing what Aslan's orders are. Yeah. And, like, all of these creatures that are sacrificing their own well-being. Because mm-hmm. it's not, like, it's the ones that are, like, actively hurting the dryads and cutting down the trees. Those ones I feel less forgiveness towards because they're actively harming others. The ones that are sacrificing of their own, like the squirrels, because of what they believe and how they've been misled. Yeah. Like, I, I just feel sorry for them. and But I can, like, I can almost forgive them. But then, like, Puzzle, who's just doing this because he thinks he's following the smartest person he knows. Yeah. Because he's been deceived for his whole life about what, who, who knows what. It's, I, it's all going to break down. It's all going to break down and it's all going to be frustrating and that's it. That's all I have to share. Well, um, I don't know. I think we've exhausted all we can talk about with our current level of knowledge and we'll have to revisit this as we develop more of the storyline. Yeah. Uh, but it's, uh, I just, I sense that there's so much that I'm going to disagree with and be frustrated (laughs) with. That's, that's all I'm saying here. Yeah. Cool. It'll be a it'll be a heck of a wrap up episode for this book. It will be. Um, so anywho, uh, Puzzle talks tells them about how you know he's happy to leave, like he's been mistreated the entire time, like he's been locked in the stable and not let outside. Like some days they forget to give him water, uh, and so he is perfectly happy to just leave and say screw shift and you know yeah. I'm gonna join you guys. Um, 
And then Tyrion finally realizes, oh, hey, we can use this to our advantage. He can go forward and we could tell everybody this is the plan. Like, we can solve this overnight because everybody will be like, oh, yeah, that wasn't Aslan. Cool. Let's kick out the Calamines. Everybody go have a party with the Fawns. Yeah. Sweet. Um, and so that's why I'm curious as to what the next 10 chapters of this book are going to hold. Because, like, where does the plot go from here? Like, maybe maybe they do that, and the Calarmanes are just like, oh, no, we've gained too much of a foothold, we're going to stay anyway, and we start a war. I don't know. Cool. Um, but Tyrion realizes they can do that, and then they all have a great amount of relief, and they all join together in some laughter because, hey, they've accomplished more than they set out to do today. Uh, even uh, Puzzle joins in on a grand old ha-he-ha-he. Yep. And I don't know if you have this artwork in your book, but I will point out this artwork that I have of the silhouette of uh, Puzzle and the Lion Outfit. Uh, yes, this is the only is... artwork that I have in this. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Which is fun. Also, all of the very curly hair on the unicorn. Yeah. He's a, he's a curly boy, that jewel. Uh, anyway, so they start heading out. And then they encounter a band of dwarves. This is the dwarves they heard off in the distance. They see uh, about 30 dwarves marching along uh, in front and back, surrounded by armed calormanes. It seems like they might be and the, uh, and under Trinian, duress. Tyrion, and Tyrion here changes his tune dramatically, where these are now, like, friends. Yep, obviously. They, these are not wicked, evil dwarves yep. who have, like, betrayed Narnia and cut down the trees. These are... These are now our potential allies and friends here, and we need to go free them of the delusion that this fake Aslan has, you know, existed kind of thing. Like, Yeah. Also, like, I don't know. Like, it, it does seem like they're victims here, but at the same time, like, it says, hey, there's a column of 30 dwarves, and there's two Calarmines in front and two more in the rear. And, like, there's 30 dwarves with improvised weapons, and they couldn't possibly overpower four guards. They could. Like. Oh, yeah. So it seems like maybe there's a little bit of complacency here with the dwarves. Yeah, but if they're being being ordered by Aslan, and Uh they're following Aslan. Yeah. Cool. So, but are these the red dwarves or the black dwarves? Because that's going to dramatically impact how we look at them. (laughs) Yes, it is, because, you know. But, uh. Theoretically, the next chapter, we're going to find out more because the next chapter is called Mainly About Dwarves. Yep. I was going to say mostly about dwarves, but mainly about dwarves. Yeah. So we'll we'll figure it out. Learn more about uh, what the dwarves are all about right now. Yep. Cool. Anything that we didn't talk about in the chapter we need to discuss? Um, as far as the actual content of the chapter, I think we got everything. Um. This idea that you kind of talked about, about not being able to hear anything in the distance and stuff like that, not even dwarves under the ground and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, the sentence that specifically said gloom and fear reigned over Narnia. Uh-huh. Uh, it just, I don't know, it, it was just a profound sentence to me that it stood out that I was like, it reminded me, because like even, even the witch's influence wasn't described in that way. But, like, the evidence of the witch's influence being broken uh-huh. uh, with, like, Christmas coming back, that was, you know, like, an evidence of this kind of gloom and fear having had existed. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was, like, a 
a profound statement to say that gloom and fear reigned over Narnia. Just like, wow, like, ouch. Like, Narnia has always been this, like, place of adventure and not gloom and fear. Yeah. Very true. It's, uh, there's, it's painting some dark pictures of, uh, of the Narnian world. Yeah. So, um, also, um, wanted to bring up the donkey imagery because we haven't actually fully talked about it or discussed it. Uh-huh. Um, but something about this chapter and something about the way that pu- Puzzle was handled in this chapter and the way that his ignorance had, like, just the way that his ignorance is treated in this chapter. Uh-huh. Made me think of, and and just 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 go with me on this, Pleasure Island in the Pinocchio film. Okay. And there's something about this idea of like all the the poor real boys yeah. who have got been led astray that are getting turned into donkeys. Yeah. And Which that whole sequence really disturbed me as a child. Watching it's that a, it's film. a very disturbing sequence, yeah. all in all, like one hundred percent, very very. Yeah. Very disturbing. I'm glad I'm not the only one who had this experience of being like freaked out by that. Uh, yeah, the that whole thing, everything about it, yeah. everything about that <sighs> whole thing. It's very, very, very terrifying for a child. But yeah. anyway, within that whole context, we have the children being led astray mm-hmm. to follow their own pleasures, yeah. and then being turned into donkeys to be sold mm-hmm. for essentially slave labor as donkeys uh-huh. um and to be put into servitude to Callerman um and being sent away you know and like this whole thing kind of builds up this this image that the donkey is like the dumb led astray symbol uh-huh. and like the Pinocchio film that the, the the Disney Pinocchio film came out 15 years before this book was published yeah um so it is something that would have you know and like the idea of the dumb donkey yeah um even in colloquial speech saying that somebody is a dumbass like that that structure exists and has existed for a long time uh including even in the bible when the donkey spoke and i and i've brought this up in previous episodes where the donkey spoke to balaam and said don't you see the angel in front of you i'm protecting you Uh you know so like this kind of recurring imagery of what the donkey symbolizes but i don't know what it is about this specific chapter that really just had me in mind of this kind of pleasure island uh like imagery from pinocchio of the donkey um, I, and I, I don't know if you want to dive into that anymore or if we just want to keep revisiting the donkey imagery, but like it really, there's something in this specific chapter that struck me about the donkey. Mm-hmm. No, I, 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 I'm tracking there. I was just thinking this is much like the ape. I believe this is the only reference we've ever had to a donkey in Narnia. Like puzzle is the only donkey we've ever encountered. I'm pretty sure. I believe you're right. So, like, he, he like, shift is kind of a singular entity. And so there's no, like, stereotypes about his race that we can really get into here. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, Not like the Marsh Wiggles. Yeah. <laughs> like that. Everywhere. They, they have every water-based job in Narnia. They're just all over the place. Um, <laughs> yep. Or the badgers that never forget things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's their job to remember. Or the fawns who really like toast. Um, 
and bread in all forms. Yeah. All the... forms of bread. Are you secretly a fawn? Yes. Cool. Um... I'll have to cut that out now. <laughs> My secret cannot be made known to the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'd just like to continually... Re- continue revisiting this as we talk more about puzzle as i'm sure he's going to continue being a character that would be weird yeah for at least part of the book though knowing lewis he could just disappear in the next chapter and never get mentioned again that is a thing he's done before um i guess the only other thing i wanted to mention was that uh i wanted to point out that eustace uses the line well i'm jiggered yes which is really amusing because like we uh had a thing a while ago where you know we discovered that jigger can apparently mean like 35 different things well more than that yeah. but yeah <laughs> and it's uh, the most versatile word in the english language it is it's up there uh-huh it is up there but like out of context like you know in in, in modern parlance if somebody was just like well i'm jiggered would you immediately take that as a positive thing i would not i would <laughs> i would take it like shook yeah but i, I am shook but he uses it in a very positive way so I don't know. Thought that was fun. Shooken up. Cool. I I don't know. Jigger makes me think of being jostled and shook. Uh-huh. I don't know. That's why. All right. Well, should we move on to the next segment then? If we've uh, worn out this chapter. Uh, Unless you're, you're 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 really wanting to get onto something. Like, no, I feel like no, you're... no. I just that's. I think I've got everything. I think I've got everything. I just. I want to dive right into the next chapter discussion because <laughs> the next chapter has some things in it that I really, really want to get into with but, you. But we learned some more about dwarves. Yep. <laughs> it's like it's just interesting. Like we I feel like at this point we know about the we know more about the gnome society that lives down in Abysm than we do about dwarf society. Yep, a little bit. Other than the fact that like red dwarves are the good ones. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you say things that that we have covered in the podcast. Yeah, yeah. It is a thing that is stated in the books. I know. Pretty much. It's just mm, still yucky. <laughs> anyway, so we'll jump in um, next week for that chapter. Mm-hmm. Talk about it then. So, should we move on to our rewrites? Sure. Kristen, what do we do in our next segment? In our next segment, we read our rewrites. So as you and I are reading through the chapters, not only do we select out the five sentences that we're going to use for our summary, we also pull five sentences out and try to tell a new story. Crazy. I know. It's weird. (laughs) Sometimes we mess up and it ends up being like summary redux. But for the most part, Uh we tell a new story. Cool. Um, so since you went your yeah, I did my summary first, you so you go ahead and do your rewrite. Here's mine. All around them, the wood was very quiet. One noise, and thou art dead," said Tyrion in his ear. Next minute, there was a sound of rasping metal. Then she stopped dead still, and Tyrion saw her gradually sink down into the grass and disappear without a sound. Dwarfs, he said. I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. So that's fun. A little, well little, little well spooky done. journey through the woods. Yep. Indeed. No, I, I like the idea of playing with the, the dwarves is like this terrifying thing that like the, the drumming in the distance of the dwarves is like a f- drums. You know, drums yeah. in the deep. It's a scary sound. So there we go. 
Go ahead and read yours. All right. All right, here's my rewrite. Cool. I drew my knife and told him he'd have to come along with me. Then they set off in the direction of the drumming. His secret's out. Do we want to meet them? She had shown him exactly what he needed to know. Okay, okay. So you're also inspired by this idea of like the drumming in the distance and like this evocative uh Yeah, I, I like that too. Yeah. Cool. For sure. Exciting. All right. Um so, should we move on to our last segment then? Sure thing. Let's right. do it. We've still never figured out a good way to transition between like the rewrite segment and whatever our last segment is, other than just like, well, we did that. Cool, let's move on. Next. There's never really done that effectively in the 100-plus episodes of this show that we've done. Indeed. Um, cool. So, in our very next segment, uh, which is our last segment of the show... It's the final conflict! It is the final conflict where every episode we're doing a battle between two random characters taken from the entirety of the Narnia series in a random location to figure out who would win in an all-out fight and who is going to be the ultimate victor of a battle royale uh, with all of the uh, Narnians that I wrote down on this random list. <laughs> so, I'm going to go ahead and bring up my list of Narnians that is somewhere. I should actually have this earmarked in the book. There it is. All right, Kristen. Yes, and we need a number between 1 and 24. Uh, 1 and 24, yes. All right. Let me find my sheet with what we've actually done. Uh, I don't know why we're keeping them separated. I don't know. I have the same information here. Oh, do you? Yeah. You have we have the ones we've used already? Yeah. I don't have the bracket. Okay. So you'll still need your bracket to track who moves on. There it is. There's okay. there's okay. All right. So the first one we have is number twenty. Number twenty. All right. <laughs> this is Give me the other number first cuz I think this will go this will work out better as a second introduction. All right, we have number 4. Number 4. All right. This is going to be fascinating. We what? have number 4, we have King Frank the Cabbie. All right, King Frank. And he's going to be fighting number 20. Collectively all of the duffel puds. All right. The, <laughs> the duffers. Um there you go. And go ahead and give me a, a random 1 through 10 number, and we'll figure out where they're fighting at. Number 6. Beautiful. Uh, they're going to be fighting in London. <laughs> London. Perfect. The Earth, London. Which um, I have written down here is London, comma, Earth. All right. Comma, is... Earth. Got it. Um, <laughs> can you tell me real quick for my reference, because I didn't write this down, what number is Edmund? Edmund was 7. And what number is Polly? Polly was one. Perfect. All right, because I didn't write down those. Cool. I got this own pen for my own uses. Yeah, my pen's All in right. my book, okay. holding a page. So this is a fascinating conflict. Yes. All right. All right. Tell us more, Chris. Man, so we have King Frank, uh, first king of Narnia, cabbie from Earth. Yes. Uh, who uh, immediately 
uh, has an immense, immense terrain advantage in London. Oh yeah, that absolutely. is a, that is that is his hometown. He's a cabbie. He knows the layout like the back. Like of his I really hand. would have liked to see like the Duffel Putts versus P- Prince Rillian or something <laughs> like that, like in uh-huh. in London or like you know like the the Badgers in yeah. London. Yeah. Um. So the collective of all the Duffel Putts, man. Um. So what we know about the Duffel Putts, they're really stupid. Um, the leader of the Duffers is, uh, incredibly egotistical and basically all the other Duffel Puds. We, we don't really know how many there are. I think, uh, that's arbitrary. We're never given a population number for them. True. Um, though I don't think that matters because like all of the, the ones that are not the king, the head Duffer are just like, yes, men who, yeah. who support anything the leader does. Now I will say in a combat situation, if they like somehow figured out a way into combat, that could give them an advantage because, like, they would move as a single unit just doing whatever the head duffer was doing. Um, so they they could theoretically have a lot of cohesiveness um, as as a combat unit. Now... It depends on how smart the head duffer is, though. Yes, uh, and we've established that they're all incredibly, incredibly stupid. Yeah. Uh, which you argue against and you say, oh, no, they just have a different way of doing things and they're not dumb at all and we're just imposing our human standards on them. Yeah. However... I think as presented in the books there. Because it's an example of imperialism. That's what the whole freaking... Anyway, go ahead. So they're really dumb. But also... Says you. But also, uh, King Frank in the books is painted as a very gentle soul. Yes. Uh, Not necessarily like a strict pacifist, but like he is like the kind-hearted, like... Praise, praise be to Aslan for this glorious day. Like, let's go to a new world and start singing a hymn. Like this very jolly, joyous, uh, kind soul. Yeah. Who I don't think would want to fight the Duffel Puds. Yeah. Um, and I don't think the Duffel Puds would be capable of fighting him. So <laughs> I, I think the... I think that the advantage here has to be acknowledged, though, of home terrain. Yes, that's home terrain. Like, uh, Frank knows exactly where he's going. Like, he could very easily just get the Cuffalpuds hopelessly lost and, you know, going around in circles in the the maze of London streets forever. Um, Yeah, I I think there's the the only way that Frank loses this is if the double puds, like, somehow get the jump right away and are able to coordinate well enough to all just go and and step on him with their giant feet uh and, and i mean i feel like strictly 1v1 in a boxing ring combat like the duffel puds are going to beat frank easily because like because like even though they're dumb when you're taking on you know an arbitrary number let's say 20 of opponents there's just no way you can pull that off uh, regardless of how you are, but I think uh, strictly because of the home field advantage and because of uh, Frank's former career, like he he has to take this one. Yeah, he does also have the uh, theoretically. If we're back, if it's Frank the cabbie in London, he's got his horse team. Like yeah. he's got some horses. Uh, he could he could run down some duffers. So yeah, any any thoughts here? Did yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that Frank would win because of home field advantage. Uh-huh. And the, the point you make about having a team of horses, I don't think he has a team. Uh-huh. I think he has a horse because I think he's a cabbie and not, like, 
running around with like 18 horses. I think he's got one horse pulling his cab, but either way. Uh Uh-huh. I think that he would have an advantage there. Yeah. Well, I was trying to think of it. It's like I know they can jump really high and all of that, but like still. Yeah. What is the first... What is the first time we are introduced to Frank? Because we he has a run in with Jadis. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember how that goes. Um, she's the one who's trying to steal his cab. Yes. As she's running amok in London with Uncle Andrew. Uh huh. She tries to steal his cab and steal his horse. Yes. That's so. that's how he's introduced as as the cabbie who's trying to soothe his horse that's yeah. being yeah egged on and and beat by the by the witch yeah real real nasty character she was yeah somebody should do something about that um yeah yeah i can't think of a compelling argument while the Duffelpods would like really win here so i think we have to give it to frank yeah so as much as i'd like to see the Duffelpods move on and fight everybody else in this list uh because that's why i put them in there <sighs> There, there are matchups here I would have rather seen them get into, but oh well. Well, there's environments even <sighs> that they're like they would have had more of advantage in. Yes, that is accurate. All right, cool. Move Frank onwards. He's moving into the next round. Cool. Uh, how many more of these do we do before we get into uh, re- like actual rematches? Um, I think that we have three more. Three more. So we're gonna pull six more characters so people are going to be left out uh we've already used 10 characters yes we've already used 10 we're going to use six more so that means we're going to leave out eight from my list of possible uh possible combatants yeah i believe so which i might have to fudge some numbers here because there's some on this list that i would be really sad if we don't get to see in battle okay like most of the ones that are left are actually the more interesting ones i see um that but i'll i'll leave that for a surprise okay so all right, cool. Frank's moving on. Huzzah. Um, so, would you like to close this out, Kristen? Sure thing. Thank you so much for joining us today as we discussed Chapter 6 of The Last Battle. And next week we will be discussing Chapter 7, which is titled Mostly About Dwarfs? Mainly About Dwarfs. Mainly About Dwarfs, yes. Mainly About Dwarfs. Dwarves? Dwarfs. Dwarves? How's it spelled? Dwarfs. Say it's spelled with an F S in this particular book. Join us next week as we discuss chapter seven, mainly about dwarfs. Which, fun fact I'll throw in at the end here, uh, that is that was the proper plural for basically, you know, the history of modern English. And it is in fact Tolkien who popularized the uh the V E S. Yeah. So I this... did I did know that. I just wasn't sure if if uh Lewis had been influenced by it or not, but yeah. obviously not since the next chapter has dwarfs. Yes. So this is this might be uh, Lewis slighting Tolkien a little bit, being like, no, I'm still going to use dwarfs. Well, I think the main thing is that Tolkien popularized the concept of, of dwarvish as a language. Uh-huh. As opposed to, you know, like them just being creatures who spoke the same language as everybody else. Yeah. Like, that's cool. Yeah. But also involves having a a language with it's not dwarfish it's dwarvish correct that's all
Anyway. Um, so if you want to interact with us on social media, you can do so at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Chronically Pod on Twitter, or you can email us your fan art of the silhouette of a stable against the night sky. Ooh, what fun. At chronicallypodcast at gmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon if you feel like it at patreon.com slash chronicallypodcast just for funsies. You get nothing for that. But, you know, the the potential promise that there will be something one day. The promise that if we get enough money, we will create our own Narnia expanded universe. Oh, is that, is that something you're <laughs> promising now? What? I'm not... I'm not going to have you put a dollar amount threshold on that, but I'm going to say it's probably going to be high. Well, it's, it's going to be high <laughs> enough to buy the rights from Disney, which I'm sure is a multi-million dollar uh, deal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> Anyway, there you go. Until next time, always follow the North Star. Spearhead. Or the Spearhead, depending on what world you're in. Mm-hmm. And... Don't forget to water your fake Jesus. Okay, you did say Jesus. Okay, like that one took me a minute. I was like, fake cheeses? Why why do the fake cheeses need water? Bye. Bye. The play! The play! Yeah, I did my summary first, so you go ahead and do your rewrite first. I was trying to get a clean record for that line so I don't sound like I'm, like, have a mouth full of marbles. This also goes with the printer. Oh my gosh, can you You're give the me one everything? Who, who, you moved the printer over there and you left yeah, the cords. I was trying to get it out But you left all of the cords! Because by the end of this chapter, he's he he ha he heing with them. I don't know. Cut all that out. I I, I remember that going a completely different way, and now that I reread it, it makes a lot more sense. So you can uh, remove all well, that. Well, I'm glad that you reread it. Hey, like it's a sparkle pony. <laughs> yeah. I, about how Tyr- the Tyrion, his name is Tyrion. Tyrion. Yeah, yes. like Wait, the I Lannisters. Haven't, I haven't used his name in a long time, so I was I mean, it's there. like Tyrion Lannister. Yeah, uh, only with an I instead of a Y, I believe. Yeah. Which we matters do. so much in a visual medium, uh-huh. like podcasting. Yep. And uh, Trinian says that Tyrion, mm-hmm. and the uh, and Trinian, Tyrion, and Tyrion here changes his tune dramatically. Yeah, you could you could do all of this bit closer to the microphone, and it would be much more enjoyable. <laughs> no, but that's part of banter, and that's an important part of the podcast, and I don't want to waste valuable bantering on talking to you.